0: Hello, this is Oluwa Oluwashun Apo, the host of the Mid Musings podcast, the podcast that focuses on everyday issues, illnesses and disabilities that affect everyday people. Find us anywhere you listen to your podcast and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Mid Musings. Please subscribe. My guest today is a special person who has served in the Army as a combat. He's based in Chicago at the moment. So welcome to the mid musings, Eric.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Just tell us a bit about you and your background and how you got into the Army.
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah, my name is Eric Herrera. Live currently living in the Chicago area, and I've lived here all my life. I attended high school here, and after high school, I decided I was going to go to college, Uh, but I really didn't participate uh, too much in the college atmosphere, and I ended up getting kicked out of college, and uh, I really did not know what I was going to do with my life, and a few of my friends joined the military and seemed At the time, a good idea, so I decided to look into it and found out that it was something that I did want to do. So I ended up joining the military in 2005.
0: How did you find it, joining the military? Was it an easy process just to join?
1: Uh, it, It was a little bit easy. I had uncles that were Vietnam veterans. I spoke to one of my uncles about what I wanted to do, and I told him I wanted to be a combat engineer. I never really talked to my uncle my entire life. This was actually the first time I ever had a conversation with him, and I found out that he was a combat engineer, too, in Vietnam. So we exchanged stories. He told me a lot of things, what to expect, things like that. But the problem was that that job description for combat engineer was clearing minefields and building fortifications. But that description was mainly based for World War II and Vietnam soldiers. During the Iraq War, that job evolved and it became finding roadside bombs or IEDs in the Middle East.
0: You said it was something that your uncle also did, but you never spoke to your uncle until that time. How did you get on with life as an army combat and clearing land fields?
1: Basic training, that's what we were trained to do. So, A lot of the times in World War II in Vietnam, there would be minefields, and the the combat engineers were the ones to clear these minefields. So the Battle of Normandy, when they stormed the beaches, it was the engineers that went first to get rid of all the obstacles and things like that, so soldiers could go through. That was the main job during the time. But as I said, yeah, it evolved when the Iraq War came.
0: Okay, So where were you deployed to when you actually signed on? Was it just like you sign on and they tell you where to go? Because I'm not, I have no clue when it comes to anything military other than watching military films.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, when I first joined, they gave me three choices. So I had to pick a station overseas. I ended up picking Germany. The other two, I don't remember which one I picked, but they were in the States. I was picked to go to Germany with a bunch of other soldiers that were in my basic training unit. So I ended up being stationed in Schweinfurt, Germany. It's a small town east of Frankfurt, about maybe about an hour and a half east of Frankfurt. And I spent three years there. Halfway through 2005, we were told that we were going to be deployed to Baghdad. So in the late summer, early fall, we were of 06, we deployed to uh, Baghdad, Iraq.
0: So going back to Germany, what was the reason you chose Germany?
1: Uh, I am half German. When I was younger, my grandparents used to take me to Germany every couple of years to visit family. I always liked going there. I mean, the culture is really nice and it was something that was familiar to me. I had other options. Hawaii is one of them, even though it's kind of a a weird thing, even though Hawaii is part of the United States, it is actually considered an overseas duty station because you're not on the mainland of the United States. So Hawaii was another one. The others were either Italy or Korea. I really didn't want to go to those. I thought Germany would, I'd feel more comfortable there and I'm glad I did pick it.
0: All right, because at least you had your family there and that was somewhere that you'd actually visited in the past, not that you were really familiar with.
1: My, my family from the States, they would come to Germany and visit the family that was there and then they would also come visit me too as well. So it was, it was a worthwhile trip for them to come see me.
0: So how did you even adjust to the new environment and the new job? How old were you at this time as well?
1: I joined when I was 19 years old. It was a a little bit of an adjustment because, the, as I said, the job did change. It was a relatively new thing that was going on was the route clearance because in Afghanistan and Iraq, there was a lot of roadside bombs. And the Army really didn't have a plan in place how to deal with them. So that's when they chose combat engineers to um, actually deal with this stuff. We ended up having different vehicles that other units wouldn't have. Received uh, some vehicles that were actually from South Africa. They were called RG-31s. And these vehicles were designed to transport diplomats in South Africa. They were a little bit more bomb resistant, but not all the way resistant. There was also another vehicle that we had. It was actually called the Buffalo. If viewers are familiar with the movie, the first Transformers movie, yeah. there's, actually, there's actually a scene in that movie where Optimus Prime is fighting a Decepticon on a highway. And hmm. that Decepticon is actually the buffalo. Well, what this buffalo isn't actually intended for, it has this huge hydro- hydraulic arm on the front of it. And it's kind of like a crane, but the front of it almost it was best described as like a spork-looking thing that you eat with utensil. And we would use this thing to either dig up or move things around in order to find these IEDs. That was the main tool that we used. And at the same time, we would be going five miles an hour down the road uh, looking for IEDs. And sometimes these missions would last between eight to 12 hours.
0: So I've watched so many movies and I'm a bit squeamish. So I can't even look. When bombs detonate, mm-hmm. boy, that was your job. That was what you were paid to do as an army combat on a regular basis. How did you find it eventually? How did you adjust?
1: Going out every day, five miles an hour, five miles an hour down the road, we knew the landscape. A lot of the streets were filled with trash. It was like mini landfills and things like that. But we would go by these little landfills and all the time, and we would realize if something was out of place. And if something was out of place, we would look into it. We use our hydraulic arm, move things around, and usually nine times out of ten, something was placed there. And just because we knew the area and what it looked like, it did take some time. To adjust to it in my first deployment we actually ended up finding 126 roadside bombs and that is not including the ones that have actually blown up on us or the fake ones that we found
0: I'm just like a bit stoked <laughs> for words right now Well, using I mean you have to find improvised explosive devices every day and mm-hmm. what sort of devices were you you constantly having to clear and how often did you see these bombs going off?
1: We would come across one IED maybe every other day. It would be very rare that we would go two days in a row without finding something. That's how often we would find things. It's just uh, something we got used to even though the days would drag on long and longer. And if we ever did find something, we would make sure that no one was around it. We would call in EOD, which was a special unit that would come out with the robot and detonate it so it wouldn't hurt anybody. So it's kind of the procedures that we would do.
0: Did you ever see any of your colleagues hurt in the process of detonating these devices?
1: Yeah, sometimes we did have IEDs blow up on us, some that we didn't see. During my first deployment, I lost four brothers uh, in arms and a number of others that were seriously injured. So you mean it was your, a di-
0: What do you mean, your brothers? Or you mean
1: people? My brother, my, my, my fellow soldiers so oh, yeah, right, they're, okay. they're all they're all considered my brothers so oh,
0: all right uh, okay yeah. nice. i thought i thought you had a the brother there in the same unit no. that's like what no yeah, no, no they, um, all,
1: all of them are considered my brothers that's how i yeah um, of distinguish course
0: I, them. I do understand that oh i'm um, so sorry one. that must have been traumatic for you were you offered counseling when you witness this kind of things happen
1: it was a very hard thing for all of us to deal with i write in my book specifically what happened that night go through all the emotions and things like that there's a lot of things that end up going wrong that night that what? i explain
0: which which night We what, is it just every night or just a particular night
1: no that this incident happened uh, actually christmas day of oh six Okay. Uh, We were out on night mission and we came across a IED, but it was a special kind of IED. It's actually called an EFP. What it is, is it's an infrared laser that detects heat. And so when our vehicles would drive by, the engines would set off this laser and these EFPs had these copper cylinders in them and they're practically just giant bullets that would... through anything we came across one that had four of these cylinders and we lost three soldiers that night
0: oh and
1: one one was one was seriously injured so that's for yeah you're asking how we dealt with it 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 was rough because we were actually left out there being christmas night no one came out and helped us until probably the next morning the process was kind of rough because we came back in and they wanted us to go out the next day back to where this incident happened. So a lot of us were trying to mourn and try to process what happened to us. And
0: Yeah. The you best must have, thing... you must have still been in shock. I mean, mm-hmm. seeing four of, I mean, three people die and then one person seriously injured. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that must really be very traumatic and, Processing
1: that takes a while. Years after I left the military, I struggled with it a lot. Even the other incident actually happened three months after I lost another friend, and a couple other soldiers were seriously hurt. Um, For years, I did struggle with it, and it did keep me quiet after I left the military. That's why recently I wrote my book about all of it. I just wanted to get everything out and help myself
0: I suppose you must have nightmares about these recurring
1: oh uh, yeah for years I did I wrote my book about a year ago now and ever since I wrote my book I have not had a single nightmare Oh, um, the, I guess the whole process of me writing it down didn't let me carry that burden anymore I mean oh. it, it was off my chest so yeah it really did help me out and let me be at peace
0: What's your book called?
1: Uh, my book is called A Bomb Hunter's Story, My Life Clearing the Roads of Iraq.
0: Okay. And uh, where can listeners get a copy of the book?
1: It's actually on Amazon right now, paperback or Kindle.
0: And how has your life been since um, returning and writing the book?
1: For me, it was uh, really hard. I really didn't have, well, I felt I didn't have no one to turn to. When I got out, I actually took up fish keeping. So I had a couple of fish tanks that I had different types of fishes. It was something that kept my mind occupied rather than thinking about other things. I did that for about five years. And I actually went back to college after I left the military and I was walking through the library one day and there was actually a table there that was looking for veterans. So I actually went up to the table and it, the lady that I spoke to said that there's actually a veteran resource center 10 blocks away from my house.
0: Oh, I had
1: no idea that this resource center was there for about five to seven years. That's one of the reasons why I like to do some of these things because there's not resources out there that are given to veterans that are really in need. I mean, you might, might get like a little plant pamphlet, something like that, but there's not actually people out there or commercials or things like that, you know, where veterans Mm. could go to help themselves out. I mean, I, I could have probably used this research center years beforehand and I actually did go and I was talking with a therapist, but at the time, I wasn't ready to tell my story. I was. I would tell my story, but I was starting to feel nauseous and sick, and I had to tell them, "Hey, I'll, I'll be back one day. It's just not my time." And a couple of years later, I actually had a, kind of like a mental breakdown, and all the emotions and things that I kept in started coming out. I, it's when I decided to write my book. Um, I felt that it would be more therap- therapeutic for me if I did that. And yeah. the more and more I wrote, the better and better I felt. Yeah. And when, when I finished, it felt like I didn't have to carry the burden anymore. Um, I'm so In the last year, I've been so much at peace with myself and uh, mentally healthy. Um, there's, still a little, there's still little things out there that I haven't gotten over, little quirks and things like that. But my overall mind is at peace now.
0: Oh, I'm really happy for you that Mm -hmm. you actually found the resource center that was really helpful. It was handy that it was just 10 blocks from your house and you never knew in five years. So Mm -hmm. this is something that people should be aware of, that there are resources really close by. If only people knew where to look for.
1: Yeah, I wish I would have known that... um, leaving that there are these type of places i had no idea that there were these type of places out there and it had if i didn't stumble across the lady at the table um, i would have never have known it was there and i wish there would be more things out there that tell veterans that there, there's people there's resources out there that can help you
0: all right and we're talking about this resource center what sort of resources are uh, what sort of support did they offer to veterans?
1: Um, yeah, they did offer like therapy, things like that. Um, also, community groups, so fellow soldiers coming together, talking with each other. Um, if uh, you needed some kind of um,
0: disability,
1: oh. something like that, yeah, um, they give you the numbers and all the information, all the paperwork, then and there. I, I even did some of that myself while I was there, um, getting collecting some kind of. Uh, uh, disability because I had a lot of hearing loss so um, things like that and there, there, there's there's a number of more but that's some of the things that are there.
0: All oh, right so oh, thank you and you said you had you had hearing loss was that as a result of the impact of the bombs?
1: Uh, Yeah and also uh, yeah myself I've been blown up twice and A couple of my other buddies have been blown up three, four times. I was also the gunner for a lot of our patrols. So I would be on top of the vehicle with um, a large caliber uh, weapon. So, and that gets kind of loud too when you fire that. So a lot of, a lot of that also contribute to hearing loss.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You are the hero. I really salute you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Do you have any advice for other military veterans that might be um, out there struggling or even anyone at all at this time?
1: Uh, Yeah. um, When you get out of the military, you always have a plan. That's the number one uh, struggle soldiers do have when they get out of the military. They don't have a plan. Um, even if it's going back to college or something else of that trade school, have a plan because you will slowly go into a spiral if you don't have a plan. Um, Another thing is take up a hobby. I mean, I took up fish keeping that kept my mind occupied. Um, My two uncles that were in Vietnam, one loved motorcycles. He rode motorcycles all the time. My other uncle, picked up photography. So he would go out and take pictures and things like that. Things, something that's therapeutic that you like. Um, one of the main things I come across is family members asking me, what can I do for my soldier? That's the number one thing. Um, try to find these resource centers. They are out there. To the extreme when I did, I mean, writing a book. I mean, I, I always tell everybody that my story is a small chapter in a bigger book. There's other soldiers out here there that have. A lot more stories. uh, Tell your story. It really does help a lot.
0: Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for actually sharing this little part of your little story. Because Mm -hmm. I think this is just like a tiny little bit of your story, and your story forms a small part of the big story. So I'm only taking like a tiny little drop out of the ocean right now. So thank you so much for giving me that
1: opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Please download and share with your friends and family and on social media platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, Listening Notes, Purchaser, Good Pods. Radio Public, Stitcher, Deezer, Himalaya, and anywhere you listen to your podcast, please leave a review, comment, or feedback on our social media platforms on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and also on our website, www.podbean.com.